When I look at Jesus, I see someone who is marked by a stunning level of joyful generosity. That's the point Paul's been making all through this middle section of 2 Corinthians. You know the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said in the previous chapter. Though he was rich, he became poor for your sakes. And Paul is wanting to remind the Corinthians, he's wanting to remind us as we read it thousands of years later, that when it comes to Jesus, who has everything, (laughs) try to imagine something right now that doesn't belong to Jesus. That's impossible because everything belongs to him. So here's Jesus. He has infinite wealth, infinite power, infinite glory. He is perfectly sufficient in every way, and yet he condescends. from heaven to earth, to, from, from, from infinite glory to a humble, breakable, vulnerable body. And Paul says he was rich and he became poor, and that's the movement. Throne of heaven, manger in Bethlehem. <laughs> so when I look at Jesus, I see that kind of thing. Scripture talks about it. We're here because we've experienced his generosity to us in some way. Or maybe at least we think if we show up, we will. So if that's who Jesus is, and Christianity is about following Jesus, and having his character come to define our lives, his character become embodied in our lives, then that means growth and maturity and wholeness depends on growing more generous. Say that again. Growth, maturity, spiritual growth, those things depend on us becoming more generous. And if we discover there are places in our lives that are not characterized by generosity, then the Holy Spirit is probably saying, hey, here's where I want to start working. Here's the next spot. Here's where we need to go next. And the Spirit works to take that area of our life, whatever it is, Maybe I'm not generous with my energy or my time. And he wants to take that and bring it to the feet of Jesus so that it can be surrendered to the Lord so that we can more and more and more embody his character. So if the Spirit is saying, hey, there's a place over here, I'd like to see some abundant generosity in your life because it's not there now, then we need to pay attention to that. And if we do, he'll begin to transform that area of our life, and it will become true. We will begin to discover the truth, not just in principle, but through our experience that Christian growth and Christian generosity are intimately bound together. Put it this way 
great generosity generates great growth. Great generosity generates great abundant multifaceted growth in our lives. And that point emerges in 2 Corinthians 9-6 where Paul says, here's the point, right? <laughs> Here it is. This is Paul's bottom line. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And we're going to dig into this a little bit more in a few minutes. But later on, he says the harvest is righteousness. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly in the harvest of righteousness. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully in the harvest of righteousness. So he connects this, this growth in righteousness, growth where in embodying the character of God, growth in holiness, he connects that with generosity. If you're stingy, don't expect to grow like Jesus. <laughs> it's very straightforward, isn't it? Before we get into that, and we'll dig into that more deeply in a moment, before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about healthy growth. Because some people get very wary when pastors especially start talking about growth. <laughs> and the reason we get wary about that is because we've seen kind of, uh, we've seen the wrong kind of growth, haven't we? We've seen, you know, maybe... Uh, the arena church on TV uh, with a big kind of flashy Hollywood-looking preacher. And we know there's no substance or gospel whatsoever to what's being said. And yet there's 30,000 people in the room. And we're thinking, that doesn't look healthy to me. <laughs> there's no Bible there. There's no gospel there. There's a lot of people there. But apparently you can get a lot of people together without gospel. And go to any stadium and you can learn the truth of that, right? So we've seen growth done badly or in unhealthy ways where we kind of water things down or, you know, maybe we kind of pitch it a little bit differently and a lot of folks are like, hey, that sounds really nice and neat and fun and let's get on board with that. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I don't know. Nobody ever comes away from my sermons going, hey, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Usually they go, man, that really hurt. <laughs> Come on, you know. So try some different things, right? But we've seen it that way, right? This whole kind of like glittery, glitzy, and people show up for the, for the you know, for the, the fancy coffee or something. And, and I like fancy coffee. It's good stuff. But, but that's not what makes a church, is it? And so we've seen it, we've seen growth become an idol. That's what it is, isn't it? We've seen church growth become an idol. Growth for growth's sake, so we can brag about attendance numbers and those kinds of things. And after all, I mean, if, if you want to make your budget, you need some people, right? <laughs> so when we come at it that way, we get a little wary and we think, well, what are you just trying to build another mega church so you can be a famous TV preacher or something like that? And we're worried about that. And we should be worried about that, shouldn't we? We should be worried about that. Here's the thing, though. There are unhealthy expressions of church growth. But there are only unhealthy expressions of it because there's a healthy reality that can be distorted. Right? 
Anytime something's unhealthy, it probably means that there's a healthy version somewhere that we want to aspire to. Let's avoid the things that lead to sickness and stay with the things that make for health and wholeness. So what does healthy growth look like for us as individuals and for us as a church? What does that look like? Well, it starts with the Great Commission, doesn't it? We talk about this a lot. Matthew 28, Jesus is raised from the dead. He gets his disciples together. They're blown away. They weren't really expecting the whole resurrection of the dead thing, even though he explained it to them. They didn't get it. So he brings them along, and he says, all right, now that I've been raised from the dead, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, which is a, just pause for a minute and reflect on the, like, that's a big claim. <laughs> Anybody want to make, we all have varying levels of authority in our homes or business places, or, you know, maybe you own your own business, and you've got a lot of authority. Here's Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Right? You got it? So here's what I want you to do on the basis of that authority. I want you to get out of Galilee. <laughs> Go somewhere and teach people to obey. Well, first it is baptize them. Right? So you've got to find them, integrate them into the life of the community, and then spend the rest of your time teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And the, 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 the term in the text that captures all of that is disciple follower, learner, student. Jesus is the teacher. Everyone in the world comes into their best experience of life and flourishing when they are obeying Jesus, trusting him, loving him, surrendering to him. So Jesus says, that's what I want. Now, here's the thing. It's basically a pyramid scheme, isn't it? <laughs> here's these 12 guys. They all pick two or three people, teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. All of a sudden, you got three times as many people. I'm not very good at math, so I'm not going to pretend to try to multiply things really fast. But if you are, you can figure those out and tell us about it later. Then those tripled people get three more people. Hey, let's talk about Jesus. Let's meet maybe on Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock or some other time. And let's figure out how to obey everything Jesus commanded. He, we have it. It's recorded. And then the tripled group gets tripled. I mean, the, so the Great Commission is basically a pyramid scheme. But it's the best pyramid scheme. It's the, only, it's the one that's really outstanding. But it, and it grows, is the point. Inherent, the, the whole mission of Jesus is, is designed... So that everyone on the face of the planet obeys Jesus. <laughs> That's growth, isn't it? And it's two kinds of growth. It's individual growth. So if I'm learning to obey Jesus, then I'm becoming a more mature disciple. Maybe I'm mature enough that I can start taking somebody else and saying, all right, let's read this together and maybe I can help kind of lead you along in this teach you to obey. That's an act of obedience to the Great Commission. And if we do that, we have people growing in depth, but we also begin to grow in our width, don't we? We're not only becoming individually deeper, we're finding new people like Jesus said to and helping them learn to obey everything he commanded. And so that means that you know, 40 people becomes 80 people. And 80 people becomes a couple hundred people. 
So that's what healthy growth looks like. Not growth for growth's sake, growth for Jesus' sake. See the difference? So I talk a lot about growth. And we need to keep each other accountable that we're not tempted to talk about growth for growth's sake so everybody can say, hey, look at them. They're really doing a spectacular job. We want people to say, hey, that's a place where Jesus is doing crazy stuff. That's what we're after. Growth for Jesus' sake. Mature disciples, and this is the key thing that kind of pulls it both together, generate new disciples, don't they? If you want to kind of gauge your own maturity, how many new disciples are coming into the kingdom through, through the work that you're doing? So mature disciples generate new disciples, and that's what healthy growth looks like, so that we have people becoming deeper and people becoming wider, not just wide showing up for a really kind of you know, shallow message and not you know, a holy huddle of 20 people who get really deep but never get anybody else on board. Those are both not where you want to be. You want to be deep and wide, and that's what fulfilling the Great Commission looks like. And Paul... You're thinking, I thought we were talking about money today, Pastor. You're talking about mission. Yes, that's exactly right. Because Paul connects mission and growth to generosity. As a key uh, you know, measure, you, know, you go to the doctor and they give you those growth chart percentile, percentile things for your kids. You know, well, maybe generosity helps us kind of measure where we are in the kingdom of God. Paul connects healthy growth, deep and wide, to joyful generosity. The one who sows sparingly, he says, will reap sparingly. And the one who sows generously will reap generously. And you know how this works. You've heard it before. It's an agricultural image, isn't it? You know, it's farms around. If you got a hundred acres, you plant them all, you'll have more than the guy who plants one, won't you? You hope you will anyway. If you don't, you got a problem. <laughs> Maybe you need a different kind of a vocation. I don't know. Um, but you get the principle. That's how it works. And we've heard this verse used badly, haven't we? You may have heard one of those guys on TV come along and say, hey, sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow generously, reap generously, so send me a check for $25 or more, and, you know, God will bless you with a Lamborghini or something. And for some reason, people buy that. I have no idea why. It's ridiculous. It's stunning to me. If, if you've done that, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to criticize you, but you <laughs> You see where we are here, you know. Jesus doesn't want to give you a Lamborghini or anything else for that matter. I mean, Paul, at the end of the letter we're reading, if you read on, is going to talk about how he got stoned and lived to tell about it. <laughs> how he got beat with sticks and whips and things. Right? The guy who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, you know, no prosperity gospel. For Paul, the harvest isn't more stuff. The harvest is holiness. Christ-likeness. Godliness. Righteousness. All those mean the same thing. That's what he says here, isn't it? He who supplies seed to the sower, verse 10, will... Supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So the whole thing, here's how it moves. Here's the principle. 
Give as much as you can to plant, and God will produce a great harvest. If you're stingy with what you give to plant, don't expect much harvest, and that is obvious. It's a principle. Everybody knows it. The principle is based on the desirability of becoming more like God. Because he goes on, he quotes Psalm 112 in verse 9. God scatters abroad and gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So, so how is God? Well, God's got this bag of seeds, and he just shows up all over the place, and he's just chunking them out everywhere. Hey, you're poor and you're starving? Here's some seed. Hey, you need some grace? Let me lavish you with it. Hey, you're in bondage to that thing? Let me set you free. God sows sparingly. He gives abundantly. He is exceedingly gracious. He's not, if there's one word that does not describe the triune God, it's stingy. I mean, show me in the Bible where God is stingy. He is constantly just lavishing people with, with His love. And even when He says, you know, He, he talks about not sharing his glory, and then he comes along a bit later and he says, hey, I'm going to glorify you. <laughs> Participate in his glory in Romans 8. I mean, even his glory, is just, it's busting out all over the place. And when we catch a vision of that, and we love that more than everything else, then our whole lives begin to be oriented towards that, toward his glory, towards his righteousness, his holiness, his absolute perfect beauty. And when our lives get oriented towards that, it begins to be embodied in our lives. And that holiness, that righteousness, that purity, that single-minded devotion in love for God just begins to infiltrate everything, every thought in, in our, our speech. Wouldn't you love it if your friends, if the holiness of God infiltrated their mouths? <laughs> Wouldn't that be... Wouldn't that be spectacular? And wouldn't it be great if the holiness of God infiltrated? Yours too. <laughs> All of us. But if we don't give God much to work with, if we're not open to Him saying, hey, there's this place in your heart that you've never surrendered to me. You keep holding it back. You want to be Lord there. You are sowing sparingly aren't you? That's the Spirit talking, not the preacher. <laughs> That's the Spirit saying, hey, there's a place where I want to help you so generously. Don't clench your fists. Don't hold it back. It's helpful to remember that this is a work of grace. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower, right? Where do you get the stuff that you're flinging out all over the world? Jesus. <laughs> God owns everything anyway, all right? He supplies the resources with which you get to be generous. We can't sort of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps when it comes to generosity. I'm going to be a generous kind of person. I've got some stuff. Well, you'll run out eventually. Jesus is the one who continually supplies everything we need sufficiently to be embodying his generous character. 
So how does this work out in Corinth? Well, Paul's trying to take this collection up, isn't he? Uh, he's got the Greeks, and it's really probably all sorts of ethnicities because Corinth was a port city, and there's, you know how port cities are. There's all kinds of people. And uh, he wants to take that multi-ethnic congregation and express solidarity to the church in Jerusalem that's suffering so that you've got this Jewish and Gentile joint project, uh, solidarity. And in the ancient world, those two groups of people had a great deal of animosity with each other. Paul says the church has got to break down that barrier. So he goes to a bunch of Greek and Roman and all sorts of people. Hey, let's take a collection. But he doesn't want them to feel obligated to it. This is what's striking to me. And this is where the growth piece comes in. If you back up to verse 5, like he's got this whole thing about, hey, I'm coming. You know about the ministry to the saints early in verse 9. Um, I've been bragging on you. <laughs> I've been bragging on you to the Philippians in Macedonia about how generous you are. And so I'm going to send my team over and uh, they'll get the collection. And here's the thing, though. I'm urging you ahead of time so that you're not off, caught off guard. You can arrange in advance and reflect on what generosity looks like in your congregation in verse 5, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you've promised so that it may be ready, get this, as a voluntary gift, not as an extortion. Paul the extortioner. That's what he's trying to avoid. <laughs> he's like, look, I'm not trying to twist your arm, folks. I'm not trying to manipulate you into giving an extra percent this year. Like, what I want you to do is behold the generosity of God revealed in the body of Jesus. The generosity of God revealed in the face of Jesus. And I want you to fall in love with him. Completely. And I'm confident that if you fall in love with Jesus, you will cheerfully. And no, here's the thing, anybody whose arm is being twisted and feel like they're manipulated to give, you got to give a little bit for this or that or the other, or else we just won't make it, or... Those kinds of things, that, that's not cheerful. It's not joyful generosity. Jesus is interested in joyful generosity because it's the sort of thing that reflects growth. Right? If we're giving because we're ticking off a box on a list of obligations, then we're not growing. If we're giving because we are consumed with love for Jesus, that's what growth looks like. And it's one of these things where the more you do it, the more excited you get about it. Because you're, hey, I love Jesus, and that means I love you, and so I'm going to commit to being in ministry together, and I'm going to support that with my resources and time and energy and money. And those things. I'm going to support that with my, the, 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 what God has supplied to me. And, and then you begin to say, wow, when we do that, really exciting things can happen. And there's people meeting Jesus for the first time. And it's because we got together and committed to following Jesus. And so maybe let's get a little more committed. And maybe the Spirit's saying, hey, look at this. Here's a situation we could all get a little more committed. And it just kind of starts snowballing. And you find out that the more you sow, the more you harvest. And the more you get, the more energy and passion you give to the mission, the more satisfying the whole thing becomes. Not because you get some glory for being a big donor because you're becoming like Jesus, because you're reaping 
a harvest of godliness because you're embodying the character of the one who, though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor. And when you begin to embody his character, everything changes. And that's what growth looks like. So that's, you know, Paul wants to see this growth-generating generosity. It's joyful, it's cheerful, it's not obligatory kind of, I'm going to fill up my card because everybody will know if I don't walk up there and drop it in the basket. Kind of, that's not what we're talking about. You know, if that's your at, just keep your card. I don't want it. And neither does Jesus. Because remember, we talked a couple weeks ago, he didn't care about your money, he cares about your heart. If it's an obligatory thing, that's not what we're after here. Let me say that again. In a little while, we're going to bring our cards up and put them in these baskets. If your heart is hard, just stay in your seat. Bet you never heard a preacher say that before. I'm entirely serious. We'll be in trouble if everybody just sits down. We're going to do the invitation a little while ago. <laughs> you see the point, though, don't you, friend? And this is where, you know, this is what makes these things so hard because it, you know, you walk into the church for the first time and you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to go check this church out and my friend said they're, you know, they're excited about their Sunday school class. It's just, I'm going to see what's happening. And then you go up and the preacher is talking about money and trying to get people to give to the budget. And you're like, really? Is this how we have to start this off? You know, and couldn't we talk about something a little more, you know, spiritual or something, right? You know? I just want us to, to be on the same page, friends, and understand. The gospel is going to go out regardless of whether you give. Right? The advance of the gospel in the world does not depend on the card that you've got in your hand right now. It doesn't. You can look at it. Look at the numbers. Look at the all. Of the advance of the kingdom does not depend on that card. What does depend on it is your wholeness. question isn't whether the kingdom's going to go forward. It is. It was going forward long before any of us showed up. It'll go forward long after we've gone into glory. The question isn't whether the kingdom will go forward. The question is whether we will go forward with it. That's where we got to land. So, I'm going to pray, and there's some baskets on the speakers, and uh, you've got a card, and the card is an opportunity to say, I'm committed to what Jesus wants to do here, and if you're not, hang on to it until you are, um, and you don't have to worry about that, because some folks have already turned theirs in, and they won't be walking up, so people won't know the difference, maybe, you know, if you just sit down. People think you just already mailed it to the office. We've already got some, so you know. It's okay. Maybe the Lord can, can come and be present and just start working in us and say, hey, here's what my generosity in your body looks like. 
And if you yield yourself to me, if you sow the things, if you just spread the seed that I've given you, here's what I'll do in your life. And here's how I'll use you. Here's how you'll grow. Here's how you'll come into your fullness. And that's different for different people. You know? The guy who makes a hundred grand a year, 10% isn't that big of a sacrifice, is it? A single mom who scrapes by on 20, 10% is a big sacrifice. 1% is a big sacrifice, isn't it? So this is it just it works out in different ways. And the question isn't. Have I sort of met the threshold of percentages so that I can feel good about myself? The question is, does Jesus have my heart? Do I want to be growing in grace and in joint mission? So we're going to pray, and Ty's going to come and play, and as he does, then you're invited to get up out of your seats, because there's something serious about getting out of your seat, isn't there? you got to make a commitment. And bring those cards up and just drop them in the basket. And maybe as you do, say, you know, Lord Jesus, here we are. What's on this card isn't about dollars and cents. It's about hearts. And I'm doing it this time because I want you to have more of my heart. Can we maybe pray that together? Lord Jesus, (laughs) so... We're so grateful that you, when we had turned our faces from you, when when we had held you at arm's length, when we had run from you, that you remained generous to us. We're so grateful. So grateful. And so what we, we want you to come and to just Fill our hearts today with your generosity. Because we don't really have it on our own. We need you to supply it. And then make it overflow. All over the place. And won't that be sweet, Lord? When you get a church full of people who are just overflowing with Christ-like generosity and the beauty of holiness. Won't that be? Won't that be lovely? So we're going to give our hearts to you again today, in a fresh way. And Lord, you take these commitments, and you do what you got, what you're going to do. We trust that you you'll carry the mission forward. You're, that's your business. We just want to be on board with what you want to do. pray in your holy name, Lord Jesus, and give thanks that your spirit is at work in us. Amen.